And at this time, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 30. Genesis, chapter 30, and we'll begin uh, reading in verse 25, down to the end of the chapter. And so let us once again give ear to the reading of God's Word. Genesis, chapter 30, beginning in verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have has fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, everyone that is, that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks on them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, so that the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let us ask his blessing upon it now. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you continue to speak to us through it, for it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we pray that as your word is proclaimed today, that you would speak to us and pierce our hearts, that you would grant to us faith to believe all that is promised to us in the gospel, as well as hearts of gratitude for all that Christ has done. 
And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, beloved of the Lord, Jacob has served his uncle Laban for 14 years in order to obtain the bride that he desired all along. In order to legally obtain Rachel as his wife, he had to serve uh, not one, but two seven-year terms of service for his uncle. You may recall that the first seven years that he served his uncle went by as a breeze. It seemed to him as a few days because of the love uh, which he had for Rachel. But the second seven-year term, the one that we considered uh, a couple Lord's Days ago, was, uh, were seven long, hard years that were characterized by strife and animosity. As Jacob found himself married to two feuding sisters, each wanting what the other had. And yet the Lord was gracious, despite the abundance of human sin and folly that we saw earlier in, uh, in chapter 30. We see that the Lord was faithful to bless Jacob, giving him, blessing him with 11 sons, who together with Benjamin, who will be born in the land of promise, would constitute the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we literally see here in this chapter the birth of a nation where it goes from one wandering sojourner in exile into a land land that is not his own into a bustling family and then ultimately that will serve as as the basis for which God will build an entire nation, the nation of Israel. And at the end of his 17, or sorry, of his 14 years of labor, although Jacob has a huge family, you'll notice that after 14 years of hard labor, he doesn't have a dime to his name. He has nothing to show for it because everything that he has done, all of that has gone to pay for his wives. And so God has caused Jacob to be fruitful and multiply. But the question that our passage answers today is, will God bless Jacob so that he can provide for his family? And I think at this point, for anyone who may be questioning the relevancy of a passage having to do with breeding sheep for 21st century Americans, I think the answer is clear now. The question of how am I going to provide for my family is a very relevant one in whatever age you find yourself in. And so that is the question here. God has blessed him numerically with sons and daughters, but will he bless him financially so that he could have a feed uh, those many mouths that he has in his household? And so we see in our passage today, beginning in verse 25, Jacob going to his uncle Laban, presumably at the end of his seven year, second seven-year term, and he goes to him and he says, send me away. You notice here Jacob is echoing the words of Abraham's servant that he had sent to the same place to find a bride for Isaac. Uh, and, and that servant, as soon as he uh, identified Rebekah and found her, he says, send me away. So here, Jacob is is asking Laban to acknowledge the fact that he has finished his two terms of of seven-year terms of labor and asks him to send him away with his family in tow. Now, we may wonder, well, wait a minute, didn't didn't he, isn't this official, doesn't his family legally uh, 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 belong to Jacob? Well, technically, technically they belong to him, but practically, as we shall see, They are all in Uncle Laban's grasp. Uncle Laban needs to be the one who lets them go. And this, this, as we will see, will not be 
so easy. And I think Jacob has a hint of that, even as he goes to his uncle and he asks him to send him away. Notice where he asks to be sent to. He says, send me to my own home and my own country. You see, 14 years living in the land of Haran has not diminished Jacob's desire to return to the land of promise. Notice he is claiming the the, the land of Canaan as his own land. Uh, Apparently living there in northern Mesopotamia after 14 years. And and, and, uh, for, for those of you who may not know, he'll end up being there for 20 years. Nevertheless, that is not his home. But he is recognizing that the land that God promised to give him is his own home and country. And so Laban, having received this request, and not wanting to let uh, Jacob go, begs him to stay. Notice there in verse 27, he's very polite. He says, if I have found favor in your eyes. It's an interesting way for the superior to address the inferior, the one who is really at his mercy. Laban here is turning the tables, and he says, well, please, please don't go. If I have found favor in your eyes. See, Laban's motives are clear. Laban's motives are always the same. He always is looking at people and, and, and looking at them, asking how he can exploit them and make money off of them. You see, Jacob is too valuable for, labor, for Laban to let him go. Notice there, he says in verse 27, the Lord has blessed me because of you. Uh, it's it's uh, interesting. He says, I've learned this through divination. Uh, perhaps a, another way to translate that is just that uh, I've become rich and the Lord has blessed me because of you. But regardless of whether uh, Laban resorted to uh, trying to divine God's will, it, doesn't, it wouldn't even take divination for him to see. It would be obvious to all that Jacob was the source of the blessing in his life, as Jacob will make clear to him later. He had practically nothing before Jacob arrived. And now Laban has increased in riches. He has become very wealthy and blessed as a result of Jacob's presence. And so, uh, and so he asks in verse 28, Laban uh, is begging Jacob to stay around for another term of service. And so he asks him, name your wages. Now you'll notice the last time Laban uttered these words, Jacob got more than he bargained for it. You may recall, he says, name your wages, and says, well, I'd like to have your younger daughter, Rachel. And he ended up getting not one, but two of his daughters and having to work not seven, but 14 years. And so when Laban asks him, well, name your wages, you have to wonder, what does he have up his sleeve? What, what does he have in mind uh, uh, for Jacob? Now, it's really interesting, later on in the giving of the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we find a a very interesting law having to do with uh, when somebody has served you, uh, or or in in this case, a a fellow Hebrew man or woman, if they have uh, had to serve another Israelite, the law specifies what shall be done when that slave is freed. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12 says this, If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. 
As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. So we'll see later on in the giving of the law what is right, what is decent, what is only fitting. Uh, When somebody has served you for a term of six years, the Lord says, in the seventh year, send him away, but don't send him away empty-handed. But give him something to get back on his feet. Furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your wine press. Give him things that he, you know, give him things so that he can get back on his feet and make a life for himself. I mean, that seems general equity, seems that that can be applied to any situation today. This is how we are to treat others, uh, considering the fact that God says that you were once a slave, right? And so here in this situation, even though the law, this law had not been given, even though Laban is not under the Mosaic law, general equity would dictate that he, after his, his nephew had served him for 14 years, would send him away with, with provisions, would send him away uh, with, with part of the abundance that he had received, clearly uh, as a result of his nephew laboring for him. And yet, when Uncle Laban asked Jacob to name his wages, again, uh, 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 an accounting term, right? Uh, uh, When he asks him to name his wages, Laban is making crystal clear that he is not going to send Jacob away uh, with provisions, but rather, if Jacob were to go at this point, he would go empty-handed. And so Jacob, seizing this opportunity... In verse 29 through 30, makes it very clear to his uncle exactly what he has done for him. Lest he forget, he reminds his uncle Laban how much the Lord has prospered him as a result of Jacob's presence. Notice there in verse 29, he says, You yourself know this, how your livestock have fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. The Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. And so ironically, here we see that the blessing that Jacob had so strived for back in the land of Canaan as he was competing with his brother, the blessing that God uh, promised he would give to him on his way out of the land of Canaan, fleeing from, uh, from Esau's wrath, somehow that blessing has fallen to his uncle Laban, whereas Jacob has remained empty-handed. And that's why he he presents this dilemma. He says, when shall I provide for my own family? I've spent the last 14 years blessing you, but but I have nothing nothing to show for it. And so in light of Jacob's dilemma, Uncle Laban counters by repeating the same offer. Name your wages. What shall I pay you in return for your service to me? And surprisingly... Jacob replies by saying, nothing. Do you notice that? He says, you will not give me anything. Nothing. I demand nothing except for this. Except for this. Verse 20, uh, 32, Jacob agrees to work for his uncle Laban for another term of service in exchange for the spotted, the speckled, and the discolored sheep and goats. Now, I'm not a shepherd. I've never lived or worked on a farm before. But from what I can tell and from what the sources tell me is most sheep are white. 
and most goats are black. And so statistically speaking, the the black sheep and the white goats are the ones that are discolored, that are uh, discolored, that are spotted or speckled. Those are the rarity. Those are the ones that you don't see much of and are typically not valued. And so it is those, it is the speckled, the spotted, the discolored uh, sheep and goats that Jacob requests. And, and the, the, the amount that typically would be in a typical flock would be much lower than, uh, than say, the typical 20% that was common amongst current shepherding contracts. Yes, we do have other, uh, uh, other extant documents from this day and age where we see these contracts between men who would serve others uh, keeping their flocks of sheep and goats. And it was typical, it was common for those hired shepherds to receive 20% of the flock. And yet here, Jacob is asking for what would statistically be far less than 20%. Just give me the ones you don't want. The, those, the, the spotted, the speckled, the black sheep, I'll take those. And that is his wages. And as a result, Jacob will say, thus my honesty will answer for me in verse 33. Literally, he says, my righteousness will answer for me later. You see, at the end of his seven-year term, Laban will be able to go through Jacob's flocks and be able to clearly identify those which were his and and, uh, those which were Laban's and those which were Jacob's. If he found a single sheep amongst Jacob's flock that was white or a single goat that was solid-colored black, Jacob says, count it as stolen. And so here he, come, he devises this, uh, this, this, uh, this arrangement so that it would be very clear, crystal clear, exactly who the sheep or the goat belonged to. And so Laban, having received this offer, replies in verse 34, Good, let it be as you have said. You see, Jacob here has made his uncle Laban an offer that he can't refuse. It seems too good to be true. And so Laban seizes this opportunity Enlist Jacob to another seven-year service, and yet not to be undone. Rather than letting Jacob go through the flock and take all the spotted and speckled and black sheep, what does Laban do? He himself goes through before Jacob has an opportunity to get to the flocks. And Laban removes the spotted, the speckled, and the discolored sheep and goats, and he entrusts them to his sons. Removing them. You see, this should have been Jacob's starter flock. And yet he, he, by the time Jacob is able to get it, it's all white sheep, it's all black goats. None are discolored whatsoever. And uh, even to, uh, to protect himself even more, to ensure that there would be no incidental contact between Jacob's flock and, and the flock that he just entrusted to his sons, he puts a three days journey between the two so that they would not interact uh, as they are out grazing in the fields. You see, this, this uh, three days journey distance will actually end up backfiring on Uncle Laban, as we'll see next week, as this distance will allow Jacob to work in isolation and eventually to escape. And so Jacob, having uh, received uh, uh, this, uh, J- uh, his Uncle Laban's flocks, uh, who have been completely eradicated uh, of any discolored sheep or goats, he receives these flocks and he begins working for his uncle Laban. 
Now, verses 37 through uh, through 43, it's important to keep in mind, takes place over the course of six years. We read it as if it's taking place in the course of a few days, but this is what will happen over the course of six years. And we see it begin with Jacob doing something that might strike us as very odd. In verse 37, he takes fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, and he begins peeling the bark away so that there would be white streaks that are exposed in these sticks. And then he takes these sticks and he places them in the watering troughs so that the sheep, when they come to water and ultimately to breed at the watering troughs, those female goats and sheep will be looking at those striped sticks. Now we may question, what on earth is Jacob doing here? I think it's important for us to understand Jacob's act in this seemingly strange act, and really this this whole arrangement. It's important for us to understand this in light of a dream that Jacob had, a dream that we're not told about at this point, but only later in chapter 31, a dream that Jacob recounts to his wives, Leah and Rachel. Look there in in chapter 31, beginning in verse 10. Jacob says, in the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. You see, here Jacob recounts a dream that he had previously, prior to this arrangement that he had set up with his uncle, where the angel of the Lord appeared to him and and disclosed to him this whole arrangement, that the ones that will be breeding will be striped, spotted, mottled, the discolored sheep and goats. Those are the ones that God promised to give Jacob. And so it's important to keep in mind that all of this strange arrangement that we have going on here is Jacob's, uh, is, is Jacob's response to a divine promise. This dream that he received gives him insight into how he might go about uh, building a flock for himself. And yet we might wonder, what is this business with him peeling the bark off of these sticks? Is this Jacob, is his use of these peeled branches some sort of superstitious act and thus a failure to act in faith? Some commentators will fault Jacob for this. They'll say that he's, he's being superstitious here, that he's thinking somehow that these sticks are causing the striped and spotted and discolored sheep and goats to be born. And yet I would suggest... Not necessarily. Verse 39 makes it pretty clear that when the flocks breed in front of the sticks, that the ones that are brought forth are striped, speckled, and spotted. And yet, ultimately, does Jacob put his faith in the sticks, or does he put his faith in God? You see, at the end of, all, at, at the end of it all, uh, in, ver- in, in chapter 31, verse 9, Jacob is very clear. He attributes it all to the Lord. Notice there, and just skip ahead to verse 9 of 31. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. 
And so it seems as if these sticks that Jacob employs are not necessarily some sort of superstitious thing, but rather instruments by which Jacob is able to assume responsibility as he engages in selective breeding of the flock. That's exactly what we see him do at the end in verse 41 and 42, right? When, When the strong sheep and goats are breeding, he puts the sticks there. But when the weak and the feeble and the sick begin to breed, he removes them. And so here, uh, I, uh, we, I, I don't think we necessarily need to fault Jacob for using these sticks as he, is, uh, as, as he is assuming responsibility, but ultimately putting his faith in God and attributing to, to God all the increase. And as Jacob would, had, uh, would have been peeling the bark away from these sticks and exposing the white uh, the white wood underneath, it must have struck him as particularly ironic as these white stripes are exposed, since, after all, his, uncle, uh, his uncle's name is Laban, which means white. And so even as he's doing this, he's thinking how ultimately he's going to be able to undermine his uncle and, uh, and gain riches for himself. And as these, uh, as these sheep and goats are born, these spotted, speckled, discolored sheep and goats are born, he takes these, uh, his own droves and sets them apart. As the healthy, discolored sheep and goats are born, Jacob would separate them from his own fold, which increasingly grew bigger and stronger over the course of six years, keeping them separate so that there would not be any mixing and ultimately his would grow stronger and his, uncle would grow, his uncle's flocks would grow weaker. And that was a result, as I said, of Jacob removing the sticks when the feebler of the sheep and goats would come to breed. Now, is Jacob at this point uh, resorting once again to duplicitous, underhanded means? Well, again, not necessarily. You see, in removing the, the sticks, the, the, these striped uh, sticks... Jacob is simply letting nature take its course, as it were. And so it is, he's not necessarily uh, trying to harm his uncle, but ultimately allowing the Lord to work as he causes Jacob's flock to grow stronger and ultimately uh, Laban's to grow weaker, as he again attributes God's hand in it all uh, in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 31, where he says, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. And so again, Jacob is uh, simply allowing God, to, uh, 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 allowing God uh, to, to work here, but assuming responsibility in selectively breeding the ones, the sheep and goats, he wants as a result, we see the summary statement in verse 43 that the man increased greatly. This word here, increased, is a key term because it reflects a word that God used back in chapter 28 when the Lord appeared to Jacob with that ladder descending from heaven. And he appeared to him and he says, I will bless you and I will increase you. So here we see a direct fulfillment of that promise as, as the Lord not only blessed his family numerically, but now he is, in, he is enriching Jacob. 
he is, uh, he's blessing him, not just with sheep and goats, but as we see uh, uh, the increase of his possessions, Jacob is able to, uh, to barter his healthy sheep and goats in return for servants, for donkeys, and for camels. And so this list, of, uh, this list of his possessions at the end of verse 33 or 43 rivals anything that we read of Abraham and of Isaac, his father. The Lord here is blessing Jacob, being, uh, being faithful uh, to, to bless him even as he said. And so like his grandfather in Egypt, Jacob is enriched in exile. He is able to grow and abound in possessions uh, uh, while away from the land of promise. And we'll see the Lord do this once again as he's able to reverse the fortunes of, of those who are in control versus those who are oppressed. You may recall at the end of the book of Genesis, we see Jacob, Jacob's son, Joseph, the one uh, who we read his birth at the beginning of our passage. Joseph will end up in Egypt where he is able, through God's providence, to bless the Egyptians, to cause them to, to, be, uh, to, to grow in material wealth and possessions. And yet over time, a Pharaoh, a Pharaoh will arise who did not remember Jacob, Joseph, and ultimately will subjugate the people of God and enslave them, much the same way that Jacob was enslaved by his uncle Laban. And yet the Lord will be faithful. He will cause his people to grow and flourish, which this word that I said uh, that's translated increase here, as the man increased greatly, is used later in the book of Exodus. In, in Exodus 1.12, where we read of the people of God increasing in number, so much so that the Pharaoh fears them because they are mightier than he. And ultimately, as the Lord is able to redeem his people with a strong, mighty arm, he reverses the fortunes of his people who were enslaved. And as they march out of Egypt through the Red Sea, they are enriched, having plundered the Egyptians, having brought, uh, brought those who were once high and mighty and humbled them and taken the humble and exalted them. This is typically what the Lord is pleased to do, even as we saw in Luke chapter 18, as Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Psalm 113 says, Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks, de- who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. 